Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. I'm Clara Young. In today's podcast, we're diving into the sea, biodiversity, and climate change with Peter Thompson, who is the UN Special Envoy for the Ocean. About 70% of the Earth's surface is covered by the deep sea and intertidal marshes, seagrass beds, lagoons, and mangrove forests. The UN estimates that these marine ecosystems support some three trillion US dollars in goods and services every year. But climate change and man-made pollution, especially plastics, is jeopardizing all that. So thanks, Peter, for coming in. Thank you, Claire. What role do oceans play in the domino effect of climate change? Well, yes, I tend to think of it in the other the other way around, of course. What effect does climate change have on the ocean? But the fact is the two are intimately connected. I come from Fiji, you know, we see the clouds above the lagoon. Uh, they form uh, and they blow up against the mountain and down comes the rain and that goes in the river and back into the ocean. But uh, going back to your question, how does the ocean affect climate? Well, just think, for example, of the fact that probably 30% of the CO2 caused by GHG emissions have been absorbed by the ocean. 90% of the heat that's been caused by GHG emissions has been absorbed by the ocean. But there's a limit to that. Right. There's also a lot in the news about the acidification of the oceans and how this is causing coral reefs to die. What's causing the acidification? Well, again, that's GHG emissions. You know, CO2 levels in the atmosphere, uh, the CO2 gets absorbed into the ocean and uh, causes uh, the acidification process. As to the effects of a more acid ocean, and, uh, you know, it's not conjecture, it's scientifically observed for many decades now, the fact that the ocean is getting more and more acid and, in fact, is doing so at increasing trends, uh, what is the effect of that on the ocean? Well, for coral, it's not great news. Uh, any calcium carbonate-based life, like uh, shellfish or even vertebrates, uh, makes life in the ocean a lot more difficult for them. For those of us who don't know, why do coral reefs matter, other than for tourism? Look, coral reefs, the bunkers of biodiversity for the ocean, they support millions and millions of life forms. I come from a coral coast, uh, and... You know, when you know what a healthy reef looks like, it is one of the wonders of nature. And to contemplate a world where there is no coral reefs is just mind-boggling, you know. It's just like saying there will be no forest left on uh, land. Uh, But that is the reality of what we're facing. Uh, The IPCC report, which has just come out, the 1.5 degrees report, says... Uh, Well, IPCC, it's the conglomeration of all our best scientists on these subjects, have said that when we go beyond a 1.5-degree world, and we're heading towards a 3-degree world at the moment, by the time we get to a 2-degree world, we lose coral reefs. It's not just the beauty that goes. It's, uh, in the end, our own uh, health on planet Earth, because take out that level of biodiversity from the ocean, and we're just not sure what that the health of the ocean will be able to sustain that. And if the health of the ocean is not there, then we have no health on land. Every second breath that we take comes from oxygen produced by the ocean. So it's you know time for us to get alert and make some radical changes. One way that has become increasingly dominant about trying to restore the health of the ocean are marine protected areas and wetlands and and marshes and lagoons that I mentioned in the introduction. The OECD published a report in 2017 about marine protected areas as a way for us to adapt to climate change and protect biodiversity. 
Why are they important? Well, uh, you know, I was very grateful uh, to OECD last time I was here for the receipt of that report. Um, you know, marine protected areas, I mean, just basic logic. We have the good science, which shows us how effective they are in protecting uh, and restoring life in the ocean. At the moment, we are working towards getting 10% of the world's oceans covered by next year uh, in marine protected areas. And uh, the chances of us doing that are very, very good. Uh, about two years ago, we were down at around the 5.7 level. Now, according to UNEP's figures, we're up at about 7.5. Uh, but commitments that I'm aware of, uh, I think we'll get to that 10% figure. But please believe me, that is by no means enough. We shouldn't congratulate ourselves too much on getting there, as I believe we will in 2020. We've got to move on to 30% of the ocean because that's what science tells us is going to be the right level to uh, maintain uh, and conserve uh, life in the ocean. 30%. Uh, very doable. You know, there are large parts of the ocean which are not productive uh, that, you know, wouldn't hurt at all to make them marine protected areas. But obviously we're interested in the areas where, uh, you know, fish are breeding and um, where uh, life uh, is dense uh, and protect those areas as well. And I'm thinking particularly about Antarctica there. These coastal areas, um, these intertidal zones and marshes, are also very good for sequestering carbon, for example, mangrove forests and seagrass beds. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, um, you're 100% right there. I mean, mangrove forests uh, are 4% more effective in carbon sequestration than land-based forests. Uh, seagrass, uh, just so important uh, to uh, the whole blue carbon um, sequestration uh, processes. Don't forget land-based wetlands, you know, not on coasts, but also within, uh, inside lands. I mean, the Ramsar Convention uh, addresses this. Um, they, these are absolutely vital to, first of all, a healthy ocean uh, in terms of the, the uh, marine ecosystem, but also the coastal ecosystem. It's absolutely vital that we have the filtering processes which wetlands provide. By um, next year, through SDG 14, we're committed to better managing our marine coastal ecosystems. And we won't do that without mangroves being protected and restored uh, and for wetlands being protected and restored. So that's the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 14. Yep, uh, to conserve sus and sustainably use the resources of the ocean. Okay. Now moving on to the cost to be able to protect marine environments, uh, you know, 10% costs over 600 billion U.S. dollars, and governments are quite stretched already in terms of their budget. So how can we finance these projects in an innovative way? Okay, that is uh, small money compared with the returns that you would get from tourist industry, for example. It's very small money. When you consider, for example, that uh, you know, trillions of dollars are going to have to be spent on marine coastal infrastructure, trillions of dollars uh, because of rising sea levels, you know, that is small money. Uh, but you know, consider also the cost of not having the marine protected areas and letting that biodiversity just uh, die away. I mean, the, the economics of it are very clear. As well as coastal damage, uh, these marine parks also protect against uh, destructive storms and hurricanes. Quite right, quite right. I mean, the effect of mangrove forests, for example, in, in mitigating storm damage is, is, is huge. Um, you know, without them, uh, coastlines are extremely exposed. 
uh, or you have to build, you know, uh, storm-capable resisting seawalls in their place. You know, the value of natural capital like mangroves can't be overestimated. Uh, the Seychelles Islands issued um, something called the Blue Bond, and that was hailed as, as quite a successful financial instrument for financing a marine park. Could you give us some details about that? Yeah, uh, Seychelles has always been very innovative when it comes to marine matters, and I applaud them for that Blue Bond. Um, and I believe other countries, I think even my own country, Fiji, are following suit in terms of that. The engagement of the finance sector with the uh, sustainable blue economy is a very important part of our work uh, as we approach 2020. It's not just blue bonds, you know, it's how to get blended finance into the whole gamut of sustainable blue economy. Now, turning to plastic, last year we learned that there's plastic even down at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is the lowest point in the ocean. And we know that a dump truck of plastic goes into the ocean every minute. There's ocean and coastline cleanup of plastics, but is that enough? What else can we be doing? Uh, applaud the efforts of the people that are cleaning up the ocean and cleaning up beaches and so on, but it's a tip of the iceberg stuff, especially when you look at microplastics and uh, microfibers coming off our clothing and so on. Uh, yes, they have permeated the ocean down the Mariana Trench, but also from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Uh, so the cleanup job is uh, obviously a massive one to be undertaken. The answer to the problem is to stop the plastic plague from entering the ocean in the first place. And uh, that's where the work has to be done. A lot of uh, corporations and governments now are moving towards circular economy approach for plastic. Uh, eradication of the use of single-use plastic. I mean, it's just uh, you know, very sad that humanity got to where we got to on single-use plastic. But thankfully, a lot of governments, a lot of developing countries, Samoa, Vanuatu, and so on, banning the use of single plastic altogether. In the EU, I think. Yeah, I think the EU is also moving fast in that direction. So it's what we do on land. Uh, you know, as somebody from Dow Chemical this morning was uh, telling me, the plastic has no place in the environment. Uh, it's a valuable commodity which has to be circulated on land and it certainly has no place in the ocean. We also need to step up uh, recycling. I think only one-fifth of uh, plastics are recyclable now or are recycled. Yes, absolutely. That's where the energy and ideas have to come. The OECD recommends that new plastic be taxed, and that's one recommendation for dealing with that. Are you seeing plastic taxes come in, into use, new plastic taxes? As I said, there's no silver bullet. There are lots of different models. Uh, the UK government has had... Uh, quite a high level of success from just putting a tax on plastic bags, for example. Peter, you grew up in Fiji, right next to the ocean, I assume. Sure. When did you start working on conserving the ocean? <laughs> in uh, Fiji, you know, the ocean's part of your daily life. Uh, probably my first conscious thoughts, if you have conscious thoughts in the womb, were when I was being transferred from one island to the other by my mother in a small boat so she'd go and give birth to me in Suva. And, uh, you know, I've just lived with the ocean all my life. You know, for somebody that values the ocean, which I hope is the great majority of us, you have to start taking action because the ocean is in deep trouble. When did I become most aware? I guess when I became uh, Fiji's ambassador to the United Nations in 2010 and we started working on the formation of Sustainable Development Goal 14, the um, ocean goal. And then when I was president of the General Assembly, uh, I was able to bring in that uh, first 
Ocean Conference that was held in 2017, which was a game changer in terms of ocean action. So, uh, yeah, I think I can place all that back, though, to my beginnings in Fiji as to my passion for it. Thanks, Peter. And thanks for listening to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young. To learn about OECD work on oceans, go to oecd.org slash environment. And to listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and SoundCloud slash OECD.